Hi, I'm Arianna Raji Lee, and welcome to the Passion Mama podcast. Each episode, I interview a guest about modern motherhood to address its challenges, but more importantly, to celebrate its opportunities. From prenatal experts to postnatal health specialists, nutritionists, mums, and mums to be, I ask them to share their insights and stories with us. Welcome to Passion Mama in Conversation. to another episode of Passion Mama in Conversation. This week I'm joined by Dr. Shirley Mipuri, who is a naturopathic doctor currently practicing at Edge Healthcare in Singapore. Shirley believes that true healing comes from addressing the relationship between one's mind, body and environment and her work is not only to improve her patients' health and well-being, but to help them feel empowered to make better choices and ultimately lead a healthier life. Dr. Shirley, hello, how are you? Hi, good, how are you? I'm well, thank you. Um, I love that you're in Singapore. I love that I'm starting to speak to people from all corners of the um, earth. So thank you so much for for being here um, for this episode today. Um, I'm really excited to be talking to you today um, because I don't know a whole bunch about naturopathic medicine. So why don't we start from the top? Can you tell us exactly what it is? Sure, yeah. Um, So naturopathic medicine is a form of alternative or complementary medicine. And what it is, it's almost like an umbrella term that encompasses uh, botanical medicine, so herbs, uh, nutrition, lifestyle, uh, hydrotherapy, homeopathy. Uh, so it's like a whole bunch of different uh, alternative medicine therapies, all grouped under one category called naturopathic medicine. And what we do is we just try to kind of get to the root cause of what's going on. So let's say you, for example, let's say you present with a headache. Um, we are trying to identify, okay, why is there a headache for you? Is it hormonal? Is it because of food? Is it because of something else? So we just try to get to the root causes of things. And our entire goal is to kind of allow the body to heal itself. And we just need to you know, provide the body what it needs um, in order for it to kind of heal its, itself. Okay, so that's quite a lot of stuff to unpack there. Um, yes. You touched on homeopathic because one of the questions I wanted to ask you was, um, you know, what is the difference between naturopathic and homeopathic? But you're saying that homeopathic sits within the naturopathic umbrella. Yeah, it's almost like uh, as naturopathic doctors, we're trained in these multiple different uh, disciplinaries. So we're kind of like those jack of all trades, but it's kind of beautiful at the same time. So uh, a patient, for example, who might respond better to, you know, lighter approach with homeopathics and all, then we go towards that side. Uh, versus with other patients, I'll go more towards clinical nutrition and herbal medicine. So it allows you to kind of modify the treatment plan uh, based on the individual and what they need. So as a naturopathic doctor, we do practice homeopathy, which is a field on its own, as well as botanical medicine and nutrition. So it's kind of all encompassing. Okay, that's pretty powerful stuff. And this might feel like a relatively um, obvious question now, but you know, how, how distinctive is naturopathic medicine from Western medicine? Uh, I think it 
you know, it complements very well with Western medicine. And I mean, the training that we had in Canada, where I had to study for a good nine years to become a naturopathic doctor. Um, but the first two years, uh, we're learning the same thing. We're doing pharmacology, we're learning about the body, we're doing clinical diagnostics. But I think that it kind of deviates in terms of, I mean, the therapies that we use. But, you know, let's say you're a patient, you come in and you're taking a whole bunch of medications, which in certain um, situations is absolutely needed. We kind of work around it. So if we want to mitigate some of the side effects, if, we, if you want to improve your quality of life, given what you're already taking, that's how we come into play. So it kind of complements Western medicine quite well. Okay, that's really interesting. And do you find that people, your patients are coming to you because um, they have been you know they've 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 gone the more in inverted commas traditional route and they have that you know they're, they're taking um more westernized medicines but actually they're still having issues is that when is that when you find most patients come to you or are you finding that actually um society now is you know with you know with the rise of kind of self-care and awareness of what people are putting into their bodies that people are sort of shifting away from putting pharmaceutical products into their body yeah, that's a really good question. So we're seeing, um, I would say, a wide variety. So not many people know what naturopathic medicine is. It's kind of like a mouthful, right? Um, but what we see is a lot of patients who are, you know, taking an interest in their health and are suffering through chronic conditions. The reason why things are called chronic is because there's no real cure for it. Um, there's a lot of palliative stuff that is needed. Um, so that's where they tend to Google and they're looking for natural therapies to help themselves. So I do get a lot of patients who have, you know, gone around, uh, seen multiple different uh, types of medicine or natural therapies, and they're just looking for a solution. And versus there's a whole other uh, clientele where they want to live a natural life. They want to prevent, you know, getting down to having all these lifestyle diseases. So their entire goal is to live a healthy life for them and for their kids. So we do get like a wide uh, range, I guess. Okay, cool. And I'm glad that you mentioned kids because obviously the focus of our conversation today, I mean, you, you must treat, you know, I, I, I'm assuming and correct me if I'm wrong, that naturopathic treatment is perfectly safer for, um, for men, women, pregnant women. Um, oh, absolutely. Yeah, it's a family practice. <laughs> Great. Well, so today I really wanted to kind of focus on, I guess, um, children's health specifically. So um, how, let me start with this. How do we naturally help our children's immune system? Because that's a, that's a kind of big one, I think, that I'm, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm hearing about more and more is how we can build our children's immunity from as young an age as possible, especially yeah, now with, with what's going on in the world. Yeah, understandably so. Um, so children, I think it's really important to understand that from about zero to about seven years of age, the child's immune system is rapidly developing. It's rapidly learning what's, what's okay to react to, what's not okay to react to. Um, and almost 70% of the immune system is in the gut. And that is so, so important to understand that. Uh, that's why, you know, now if you're looking on Google and all, there's a lot of... Um, gut and brain uh, connections and how the gut impacts almost everything in our life, basically. Because even the father of medicine said, all diseases begins in the gut. So starting when you're young, from zero to seven, you're trying to prime the immune system to learn 
uh, how to react and not to react. I think focusing on gut health is, is key. So focusing on gut health means to focus on your diet. So what are you feeding your kids? Are you leaning more towards processed foods? Are you leaning more towards a higher sugar diet? All of this will have an impact on your gut health. And most importantly, within the gut health, you have a whole population of microbes, of bacteria, of all these little tiny microorganisms that's actually helping your immune system learn what to do, how to react, and how not to. So you're not just kind of feeding yourself, you're feeding this little microbe population as well. So if your kids have a higher diet in uh, sugar processed foods and uh, less of like, you know, the vegetables and protein and all that, you're kind of feeding the wrong gut bacteria. So that kind of compromises your digestive health. And that indirectly will then compromise your immune system as well. And while uh, a child is growing up, um, there's a common hypothesis called the hygiene hypothesis. That means that as a child, they need to be introduced to different microbes. You know that saying, if your child eat dirt, eats dirt, let them eat the dirt, just look away? Yeah, I, I have heard that. <laughs> yeah, so basically, you know, it, that's almost like a natural thing for a child to explore, to try different things, because it's also training their body as well. Um, so, you know, don't over sanitize, don't over clean the house or the child or uh, just make sure things are not too, too clean because you're kind of wiping away the good bacteria as well. So working on immune system, again, is all about making sure you're eating right and making sure you're not like over cleaning their environment because that's where things like allergies and all tends to develop, you know? Yeah, so this is really interesting, and you've covered a lot of stuff. Um, yeah, it's a big topic, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's huge, and, and um, so I want to kind of unpack that a little bit. Um, I love that you, you know, I, t I totally agree and, and see how, um, you know, I read once that your gut is your second brain. I totally, yeah. totally, you know, feel that myself, so I can believe that. Um, I have um, had and currently still have, you know, certain intoler intolerances. So anytime my gut is unhappy, it has a massive impact on the way that I feel overall. Um, but so you mentioned um, the, the, like priming your immune system. Um, I don't think you use the term microbiome, but that's something that I've come yeah. across loads in sort of reading. Can you, can you, you know, you were, you, you did say, you know, you did say you need to take care of the, the, the microorganisms. So, so what is, what is your microbiome? Everyone has one and it's something that we need to sort of nurture. Yeah, it, your microbiome. So every person has their own unique microbiome. It's just like, you know, how you have different uh, fingerprints, for example. So your microbiome just means the population of these tiny organisms that are kind of living with you in a way. They're on your skin, they're everywhere, they're in your gut, there's billions and billions. So technically you're almost like 90% microbes and like 10% human. So that's how many bacteria, like if I just, you know, um, clap my hands, for example, like a good 100,000 bacteria will be flying around and that's how many is there all around me. So making sure that people have a healthy-ish uh, microbiome is really important because when that gets compromised is where things tend to go off digestively or otherwise. And the way that people can, the way that people can nurture and care for their microbiome is solely through diet? 
Yeah, so it's diet and lifestyle together, but it's also a history. So if let's say you um, have had a lot of medications or you've had a lot of round of antibiotics, that does tend to compromise uh, you know, the, the regrowth and integrity of this microbiome. Or if you're leading a very poor, I'd say diet and lifestyle, lots of sugary stuff, lots of uh, soft drinks, um, or if you have digestive issues like uh, loose stools or constipation. So if anything is sort of out of the normal of a healthy digestive tract, you know there's a little bit of a microbial or gut microbiome issue that's happening. Okay, and if they, if, because I'd imagine that a lot of people, and I say this purely from my own experience, um, yeah. I would imagine most people, and would you say it's fair to say most people have slight issues with their microbiome rather yes. than everyone having it, you know? Yeah. Well, I think to some extent, yeah, because I mean, if you think about it, you know, 30, 40 years ago, if, if you had to go out and say, oh, I have a gluten intolerance or I'm intolerant to celery, for example, everyone would look at you like, what are you talking about, right? Um, nowadays, people are getting more and more sensitive to different foods. They're, they're digestive. I mean, IBS has been, uh, every other person seems to be having some form of IBS, which is an irritable bowel syndrome. Uh, that means when they're getting bloating, loose stools, constipation. Uh, in kids, for example, uh, there was a study out, I think it was by WHO, that said that um, nowadays in kids, they're seeing more adult-born illnesses. So as children, you're not supposed to be getting these sort of adult illnesses at such a young age. So like Crohn's and all that, for example, is a type of irritable bowel disease, right? So this is where it's kind of important to, to work on this foundation. So, and with the rise of processed foods and all that, there's just more and more digestive issues going on with people. This is, that's really interesting and also incredibly sad that there are more adult born illnesses in children. Yeah. Um, you, <laughs> there's so much I want to talk to you about. And I, I really know. This is a huge topic, yeah. Um, you I want to go back to the, the, the the gluten intolerance that you've mentioned, um, yeah. because I find that one absolutely fascinating. I feel as though um, a lot of people be truly believe they have a gluten intolerance because the, the minute they stop eating gluten, they feel a whole lot better, they feel lighter, their digestion is working more seamlessly. Do you think that that is a fair thing to say? Or do you think it's actually the reality is that they were probably eating too much gluten before so cutting it out completely is always going to have a positive impact on your body for that short for the short term yeah that's a good question so with regards to gluten i mean first you have to see like what is the state of your digestive tract or your health at present so if your gut is already in a compromised position you're already having issues and you're eating a lot of gluten or other inflammatory foods, yeah, definitely removing it or reducing it drastically is going to have an impact. Um, gluten, yeah, I mean, there's different schools of thought. You know, some believe that, no, it doesn't have any issues. But subjectively speaking, I treat a lot of kids also on the spectrum or with ADHD, so with attention concerns. Um, removing gluten and dairy, for example, especially gluten, once we remove that in a lot of the kids, the behavior, the, the attention, their hyperactivity, it's like a night and day difference. Just by altering the food first, before we go into supplements and all these things. So 
um, you know, adults with uh, or females with hormone issues and all that, usually we do do a, a kind of an elimination diet. And part of that is gluten. So me personally, I'm intolerant to gluten. So when I do eat it, within two days, you'll notice my I'll have like a gluten face is what I call it. So my whole face just puffs up. And I gain about like a kilo of water weight. So for some, it's very obvious. For others, it's not. Um, so it, it all depends. So sometimes we'll have to avoid like a list of five or six different foods in order to then see the difference of what food is causing an issue. Yeah, that makes sense, I guess. But, but you know, I would argue that we all likely have a bit of a bit of a gluten intolerance. Yeah, I agree. Yeah, you don't have to be celiac to have an issue uh, with gluten because you could be uh, gluten intolerant or gluten sensitive, basically. Yeah, I guess I have issues. If you cut something out for, for a longer period of time, like gluten, of course, when you have it, then your body isn't know, going to know how to react. And so it will, it will react badly, potentially. When you reintroduce it again? Yeah. Yeah, if it's an issue, then you'll notice quite a drastic thing. But for a lot of uh, people, for kids, for adults, anybody, when they have a lot of digestive issues or allergies or eczema, if you just remove one food group, you might not notice a difference. That's where we do a clean sweep. So we remove the, like, the top inflammatory foods. Then we add it one at a time after about like four to six weeks. And then you're right. As soon as you eat this food, we see for four to five days, how are you feeling? If there's any aggravations in your, sim uh, in your uh, symptoms, that's likely it's that food that's causing it. Okay, very, very, very interesting. I'm conscious that I've stepped away from specifically children's <laughs> health. So let's go back to that. I felt um, the hygiene hypothesis that you mentioned before, the kind of natural thing, keeping things natural and not over sanitizing. I find that absolutely fascinating because I have, um, obviously you'd have parents on different ends of the spectrum with that. How does overcleaning and, and sanitizing affect children's health from a really, really young age? Sure. So when you're basically over sanitizing and you're over cleaning, um, you know, it's, it's basically a, your body needs to have a good balance between good bacteria and bad bacteria. So I'm not saying you're perfectly of zero bad bacteria. There is still some there, but the population of the good is more than the bad. When you sanitize, yes, you clean away the bad bacteria, but you're also wiping away the good bacteria. So this allows more uh, diverse, like bad populations to then attach to your body. So that's why over sanitizing is not really good. Um, you, you know, you can use natural sanitizers whenever, right now, especially because of uh, COVID, it's understandable we need to kind of maintain a clean environment, right? But on a daily basis, I mean, for kids, I just personally wouldn't recommend over sanitizing because of that. And what would be the impact for the future of that child if they are in an over sanitized environment for a long period? Yeah. Of time? So those are the cases where, um, you know, as an adult, for example, let's say you travel and you try different cultural foods, be it street food or something like that. That's where you'll see you have kind of a sensitive stomach in a way. Um, that would be one. Another thing would be like immune system development. So things like allergies and all could develop, uh, skin concerns, eczema, all of these things, it could have an impact. I'm not saying there's like definitive research and all, but we're just seeing correlations of it. Uh, so 
because again, you need your bacteria, you need the good and the bad for your immune system to learn how to respond. So if you're wiping everything away at the same time, you're not really training your immune system to the level that you want, you know? Yeah, that's really interesting. And um, I think uh, the sort of sensitive stomach and allergies piece is, is, is as you said, it's not, it's not a direct, but it, but it could have something to do with that. Can we talk a little bit about, you know, sensitive tummies and allergies and, you know, skin conditions like eczema in children, for example, how did yeah. that come about? Like I suffered massively from eczema when I was, when I was really, really young, so much so that my mum had to, I remember in like my school jumpers, which I always found. And some, even now I find I have to be quite careful about the material that I put on my, on, on my, on my skin. She had to yeah. like sew in like a much softer material into my school jumper sleeves because I had such bad eczema, um, kind of at the elbow bend. What is eczema a result of and how does naturopathy help with this? Yeah, so eczema is very tricky because you basically have to play detective work. So when I work with a lot of kids with eczema, you know, the parents, me, we're sitting and we're like, okay, we have to make sure the environment does nothing aggravating the child. What type of material? Like your mom had to choose certain material so you react less to it. That's important. What cleaners, cleaning products do you use? What are you feeding your child is important as well. So with eczema, it's a lot of working on your external environment, but also your internal environment as well. So when I say internal environment, how do we calm down the immune system? How do we um, decrease the stress off the skin to make sure the child is naturally able, all the body systems are able to, to detox and to function on its own? Because the reason it's expressing on the skin is some of the body systems like digestive or immune system or your liver or ability to detox is off. So that's where we get down to the root causes. I've had a few kids that I treat where it was so uh, simple to find. It was like eggs and nuts, for example, was the biggest contributor. Other kids, it was a little more challenging because it was a mix of allergies. It was a mix of food. It was like different contributing things. So it does get tricky to work with. I'm sure a lot of parents um, whose children are suffering from eczema understand just how um, you know, complex it can be or how simple it can be as well. But that's where natural, uh, naturopathic medicine comes in because we now have the tools to then solve these. Okay, is it a gut issue? Is it an external issue? We do have uh, herbs. We use homeopathics to kind of uh, calm down the immune system a bit so it's not overproducing histamine which is then leading to eczema and itching and all that so it can get very complex but we just have to kind of work through different body systems yeah i mean i guess because um naturopathic medicine from the way you're describing it encompasses so many different things that yeah. if, you, if you were to to try to um you know solve something that that some discomfort in your body given the number of um effect you know number of of stimulants that it could be whether it is environmental or within the mind or within the body it will it yeah. could potentially take a very long time ultimately worthwhile obviously but a very long time to treat the cause of the the issue so so i guess it's it's a slightly slow slower burning process which is potentially why you know people are less less likely to jump on on jump down that route anyway absolutely yeah the easiest 
yeah, the easiest fix for eczema, I mean, like topically is like steroid creams and all that. But the problem is if you're using that for a long time, uh, it's almost like you're using a Band-Aid to suppress something. But as soon as you let go of that, uh, people, some people suffer through what's called topical steroid withdrawal, where the eczema is now full-blown. So that, that's where it gets really tricky to work with. But I mean, kids thankfully have less of a history than adults do. Uh, so sometimes it gets a little easier to clear the field, you know? Yeah, I totally get that. Gosh, it's so, so interesting. Um, yeah. You touched on um, children with attention concerns, ADHD, you mentioned, and how diet has a massive impact on that. I find that really, really interesting. Um, I want to maybe talk about little ones with attention issues or perhaps even with sleep concerns. Um, what do you have any sort of tips for parents who um, who have little ones that are struggling to perhaps settle or focus on things, um, rest in the evening or concentrate on one thing in particular? Yeah, so when we see kids um, who it's difficulty concentrating or they're very hyperactive or um, their moods are very temperamental, we have to go back to the basics. So we, as a, you know, when we treat people, we see, okay, what is our obstacle to cure in this situation? So first thing we resort to is diet. How is the child diet? When are they eating their meals? And how do they feel? Do they get those really bad hangry symptoms and all? So then we look, okay, maybe nutritionally something is missing. So I'll usually tell patients to do like a diet diary for their child so they can see as well where certain patterns are. Um, so for parents, it would be good to do that diet diary for three to five days and note down how is, how is your child's mood? How is their sleep? What did they eat on those days? How is their digestive tract? Are they more constipated or are they loose stools or complaining of tummy aches? Because all of these things, if we work to just kind of tweak it here and there, that'll have a huge impact on their mood and their sleep as well. And making sure electronics as well. So there's a lot of studies coming out showing that the blue light from electronics, um, so when kids are always on their uh, iPads or screens or whatever, that impacts their sleep quality. And if that impacts their sleep quality, it's going to impact their growth hormones and other hormones that usually increase in the night to allow the child to grow and develop. So having sleep and the timing of sleep is really important to make sure that we have that. Gosh, yeah. I mean, I think that, yeah, the blue light effect is, is so, so. Oh important. yeah. For adults as well. Yes. <laughs> and, um, is it fair to say, you know, let's say you know, we've got our listeners are mainly, uh, are mainly, um, new moms or soon to be moms. What sorts of tips for, for new parents can you give? to support a really sort of healthy and balanced lifestyle for their little one as, as early on as possible? Sure, yeah. I think it's really important for moms, either new moms or uh, moms who already have kids to take a step back and just first, uh, you know, you, you are perfect as you are. Then nobody can be the perfect parent. No one can do everything perfect. So perfection is very subjective. So it's important to understand that. And it's also important for moms to understand that, you know, children, even though they can't speak yet, they're very in tune with the emotions around them. So if you're stressed out, if there's a lot of pressure on you, if you're tired, if you're drained out, they're going to, they're going to perceive that as well. So 
you cannot give 100% until you're 100% as well. So as much as you can work on self-care, which is really important. And with regards to your kids, you know, if you need help, reach out. There's conscious parenting training around the world that people do. Um, there's new mom groups that you can join. There are new mother and child groups that teach you also how to interact. And there's also sleep training therapists as well that you can work with. So reach out to your network. So whatever is available there, you know, don't feel isolated to do things on your own and um, ask for help. I think that's the biggest thing, honestly. I, I couldn't agree more. I think, um, I think that's very, very good advice and a brilliant place to end. Dr. Shirley, it has been absolutely brilliant talking to you. I mean, I could have spoken to you. There's so much, as you say, to cover. Um, but I think, I think we got some really good stuff there. Um, thank you so much um, for, for kind of sharing everything. Um, I will put, you know, uh, if it's okay with you, I'll put a link to your kind of website and your Facebook page if anyone does have any questions that they might want to kind of, I know you're in Singapore, but things are all virtual these days anyway. So if anyone exactly. wants to get in touch with you, they can do that way. But thank you so, so much. Thank you. Thanks for having me on here.